0: This is the a Smarts Podcast, where you will learn to leverage your online following into a profitable, future-proof education business that you control without being at the mercy of sponsors or algorithm changes. Each week, we interview the world's leading creators to find out what strategies they use to diversify, stabilize, and grow their businesses. I'm your host, Jan van der A. Hey everybody! It's your Dutch friend Jan, and you are listening to episode 119 of the Creator Smarts Podcast. So today I decided to share with you a presentation that Oli gave during our most recent Creator Smarts Inner Circle meeting. Um, it's um, so basically for the guys who are in our inner circle, we uh, we meet four times per year virtually. And uh, we share with each other what is working in our businesses, what the latest trends are, and we help each other out. It's basically like a a mastermind event but then online. And um, during these events, Oli always gives a presentation where he shares his latest insights in the industry. And today he's going to talk about how to reinvest your profits and create exponential growth for your creator business. So, if you have money in the bank and you don't know what to do with it, then um, this episode is for you because Ollie's gonna give you a framework for reinvesting and allocating capital. Um, we also, you know, there's also a video presentation available of, uh, of the original presentation. And uh, if you want to watch that video, then just send me an email at, at, sorry, at hi, (laughs) at creatorsmarts.com And then I will manually send you the secret link. That was it for now. Let's get started. Here is Oli.
1: Good, cool. So as I was thinking about um, the the topic for today, it's it's kind of interesting because with every meeting that we have, uh, I cover a different topic and I want to kind of keep it interesting and fresh. And um, for those of you who have been with us for a while, you remember I've done uh, little presentations on um, how to uh, kind of YouTube's place within a broader online business. Um, and then we talked about, um, what else did we talk about? We did like how to create a course ecosystem. And so what was, yeah, and do you remember any of the other topics we uh, yeah, we
0: talked about affiliate marketing, uh, lead generation, the importance of building a mailing list and uh, mm. about building an ecosystem.
1: Yeah, so for those of you guys who are new um, and if you don't have access to those recordings, just ask talk to Jan because I think um, you guys seem to, in, to enjoy them. So what I thought I'd do today is do something a bit more fun or, or rather something that's been on my mind a lot recently, um, which is what to actually do with money when you get it. Um, because for I think for a lot of us, Certainly for me, I kind of never really had all that much money when I was when I was when I was growing up, and I had this attitude of, um, you know, whenever I would receive money, I should put it in a savings account and save it. That's sort of the attitude. So I've I've always been quite resistant to, to spending money, and I've had to work quite hard at at understanding what does a real business actually do with with profits. And uh, so this is what I'm going to show you today. is basically the culmination of um, of a couple of years spent spent thinking about this. Um, Quite a lot, and it's one set of ideas. It's by no means uh, gospel, but it's what I've come to think is the best way for to think about what to do with profits. Uh, if your aim is to grow a business um, at a at a good speed and sort of and, and you know have cool things happen and enjoy ourselves along the way, so does that sound good? Cool. Hopefully, we all have profits to actually spend. But even if you don't, then sooner or later. Uh, i'm sure you will all right then so um what should oh yeah so this is what we're going to cover so it's what should i do with profits i'm going to give you a framework for reinvesting and allocating capital it's just again just a framework It's how i think about it um with the aim of growing your business exponentially um and so when it comes down to actually uh sort of receiving money in a business. It's always kind of interesting to see how um, you've got these kind of figures about how much money you make, how much revenue you have. And then by the time you kind of pay your bills and pay your taxes, it's always quite scary how much actually ends up in your pocket at the end of the day. Um, and it's often not that much. Um, but there's, we've always got this dilemma as business owners, especially doing what, a lot of us do here which is kind of like a you know creator-led business mostly with small teams uh, it's like you know whose is this money is it mine do i take it out and pay it to myself as as dividends uh do i pay myself a salary instead or some combination should i be reinvesting in hiring more people or should i be doing something else with that with that money there are no right answers like what I, one of the things i've realized about this question is there are no right answers and if you go looking for them you kind of go crazy because um everyone will tell you uh, something different everyone's got a different approach so um but my how i like to think about business is that there's, there are so many opportunities especially right now and there are so many things we can do with our businesses and it's so exciting once you start to actually think about all the things that we, we can do and that we can build and so i like to um i like to follow this approach of like having ideas and then implementing them because that's just exciting so anyway Um, Here are the the three principles I'm gonna go through. Number one, um, to use cash to fund new ideas. Number two is to double down on winners and kill losers. And the number three is to fully resource new projects. And if you follow these steps, then uh, you're setting yourself up for um, exponential growth and exponential profits. So that's the the framework. How I think about this stuff on a high level, and then we'll, we'll go through this one by one. So the first is to use cash to fund uh, new ideas. And I think everybody in this room, because we're content creators, we're always having tons and tons of ideas as part of what we do. And I I, I personally find that I have so many ideas that I have far more ideas than I'm actually ever really able to to kind of implement. Um, But the thing about ideas is they are completely worthless unless you actually implement them. And so, one of the things that uh, that we can do to actually um, to actually figure out whether ideas have legs is to implement them in some way in the real world. And cash is what gives you that. So there's an old there's an old quote. Um, I always attribute it to Dan Kennedy, but I'm sure lots of people say this, uh, which is that money is attracted to speed. And if you can think of money or business growth or or whatever whatever you like to think about. Generally, this comes with speed. So the faster that you move and the more that you just try stuff out, the more money tends to flow to you. Another way of thinking about this is money is attracted to to energy. And so when you have profits remaining in the business at the end of the year, rather than kind of letting it sit in the business and paying tax on it, um, the big thing that cash gives you, the big gift that cash gives you is that you can turn your ideas into into reality. And you can do that in two ways. The first way that you can do that is to use that cash to hire people to help you make your ideas happen. Or secondly, you can use the cash to replace yourself in the business so that you can go off and do those things yourselves. This is something that you need cash to be able to do. What a lot of us are always in danger of doing, and I did this, this myself for years and years and years, and I, and I still catch myself doing it now. Still, is that when I have a new idea, I think it has to be me who implements it. It's my business. So if I have a new idea, it should be me doing it. But the more that you can get away from that, the faster you'll be able to move. And cash is what allows you to do that. So classic example is Amazon. We're gonna be coming back to Amazon a few times in this. Uh, You'll be familiar with these products from Amazon. You've got Kindle, you've got uh, Amazon Web Services, you've got the Echo. No, what what is it? Alexa? I I don't know, that horrible thing that they put out into the the world. These are all things uh, which Amazon have used cash from their uh, main business to fund. They started off as ideas and they plowed cash into them. This is a really important um, ethos that Amazon have always had. It's basically make money, use that money to fund dozens of different ideas and then see what works. Okay. It's pretty. Uh, it's a pretty well-known um, concept about Amazon, but you don't, it's, not, it's not necessarily obvious unless you look at how they how they do things. So, so number one is pretty simple. It's the idea of using profits to actively uh, test out new ideas. Now, once you have run these new ideas, once you've invested in actually running them, then it's very important that you either double down on the winners. Well, no, it's not either, That you both double down on the winners and kill the losers. So if you imagine that you implement 10 ideas, uh, I that 10, yeah, I put 10 dots there. So if you imagine that you implement 10 new ideas uh, in your business over time, what is most likely to happen is that five of them will be complete duds and they won't work. Uh, three of them will be kind of all right. And then two of them have a chance of being something like a uh, smash hit. This is generally how things work. Your ratios might be slightly different, but that's pretty much uh, how you'd expect it to work out. It's important to notice the kind of psychology here of you don't expect everything you try to work. Uh, Generally, if I try out 10 things, I kind of expect one or two of them to really to really work well. But the thing is, because you've tried these ideas in the real world, once you find the things that actually work, then the the major thing that you've done is you've proven these ideas in the real world. These are not ideas now that you're sitting around to yourself thinking, oh yeah, maybe this would be good if I did it. These are things that you've, you've, you have taken cash to try out in the real world and you've seen how it works in the real world. There's a very big difference between a podcast that you think might be good. And then a podcast that you've actually launched and seen that loads and loads of people download it because, you know, growing any business is all about looking at signals in the real world and following those signals step-by-step. Step. So what we wanna do at this point, having run these 10 ideas, you take the two which have been proven in the real world and then you ruthlessly cut out all the rest. And the reason that it's so important to be ruthless about cutting out the rest, is not because the other ones can't work or, or couldn't work or might not work, but it's because it's incredibly important to create focus and clarity on the two that have worked. Right? and we'll see um, some examples of this in, in, in just a second. This can be really hard to do because of the sunk cost fallacy right when we spend time and money on stuff it can be very difficult for us to move away and say uh, yeah I spent all this time on it I can't just let it die but actually it's incredibly important that you let it that you let these things die in order to focus on the stuff that you have proven to work. So uh, let's play a little game called remember these uh, you can you can do it from the from the comfort of your of your home and we're going to go back to amazon here and i'm going to show you some amazon businesses that they have launched and then killed or else that have launched and failed just to prove the point uh, about uh, how how this works so who remembers amazon pay this was back in the day where amazon wanted to have their own payment processor and you would you, you could kind of check out across the web um using using amazon you think it's you'd think it would be a massive Massive thing, right? Like PayPal. But they couldn't compete with PayPal, so they killed it. Who remembers the Firephone? Phone? Remember that? Again, pretty massive project. They're trying to compete with, um, uh, with, with Apple, with Samsung, with everybody else. And I'm sure that Amazon could have made a go of this, but it, but it wasn't a great success, so they killed it. Anyone remember Amazon Destinations? A travel company that Amazon launched. To compete with i don't know your sky scanners or your expedias run for a few years killed it amazon auctions anyone remember this one to compete with ebay they ran this back in the day didn't work out quite so well they killed it one more amazon now what's going on oops clicking on the wrong button here we go amazon local you remember amazon local it's like a deal site for uh for local Things going on locally. Any one of these, you'd think looking at these, could become their own huge businesses. But Amazon decided, having, having invested probably millions or who knows, billions in these things and see them not work, they decided to cut it in order to focus on those things that we saw earlier Amazon Web Services, Alexa, Kindle. Um, and I'm, I'm sure many of you know that uh, AWS, Amazon Web Services, is now by far the most profitable part. Profitable part of the entire Amazon business. They make far more money selling service space to people than they do selling stuff on Amazon. Right? And they, but they would never have known that unless they'd run those experiments. Okay, so just notice ha- just how far Amazon go to invest in new ideas, try them out, and then ruthlessly cut out the ones that don't work. And this is something that we can learn directly from when we have um, when we think about our business. So again, remembering that the topic here is how to use how to reinvest. Cash, uh, it has to reinvest cash or profits in order to create exponential business growth. We've seen that principle number one is to use cash to actively fund new ideas and put them out into the world. Principle number two was then to double down on winners and kill losers proactively. So at this point, you've used your profits to validate ideas in the real world, which means now you're in the best possible position to move forward on those ones that actually work with 100% confidence because you've, you've actually seen it work in practice um, in the real world, right? So that takes us to number three, which is to fully resource winning projects. And this is one, I think this is probably one of the biggest lessons I've learned in the last few years, um, as important or more important than, than all the others here. And this is the idea that once you've got something that you've decided to move ahead with, make sure that the entire thing is fully resourced so that you've got everyone that you need in place and everything has got the funding it needs to actually make a proper go of it. Because the risk for all of us, again, as entrepreneurs, as creators, people that like to get our hands dirty and get stuck in, the massive risk is that we become the bottleneck. And the number of projects that I've sort of started thinking, yeah, I've got this cool new idea, Let's let's run it. And then looking back on it now, I'm like, man, like it didn't work. Not because it wasn't a good idea, because I, it, everything had to go through me. And I was a huge bottleneck in the whole thing. So it's really important. Once you've got an idea that's been proven in the real world, you've invested money in proving, then fully resource it so that you are not the bottleneck in the process. Right? A question that I like to ask when I'm starting a new project, whatever it may be, that I think, or I've seen has got legs, is to ask this question. What would this look like if we're all in? I guess it should be, if we were all in. What would this look like if we were all in? In terms of, you know, what people do you have in place to manage it? There's such a huge difference between um, a project that you can try on the side at the weekends when you've got a bit of free time, and that same project that's actually that you've actually fully staffed and put people in place to manage. And that main difference is speed. If you try and do it yourself or you're the bottleneck, it just moves so slowly that you might end up killing it before you actually get momentum. But if you've got a proper team in place to run it, then you're giving it the best chance in the world. It's like giving your, your kid the best possible education you know, you're giving them the best chance they have in the real world. So that could look like many different things. Often for a bigger project, it means the first step, could be to hire a general manager or or, or someone to head up operations of that thing. And that's really important because it means that you don't have to be the person who's deciding kind on of what happens at every stage. Actually hire someone to own and oversee the project. There's then, depending on what the project is, there might be all kinds of other roles. You might decide to have a you know hire a couple of script writers, for example. You might look at this project and think, yeah, if I'm going to do this properly, I'm going to need two script writers here. Uh, I'm also going to need a proofreader. I'm going to need a copywriter, maybe, so I can actually sell the thing when it comes out. Maybe uh, I don't want to be on video myself, so I have to go and find that perfect person to be to actually present the thing. Maybe I need a a marketing assistant or a VA to kind of—I don't know—work up sales pages and deal with the email marketing. These are all. This is what fully resourcing something looks like, and it's what it looks like. This is what giving something the best chance in the real world looks like as well. But if you remember that you've already proven this in the real world by investing cash, then it's really not that risky. Because although yes, it's going to be expensive, you've got something really powerful here. So give it every chance to actually um, blossom in the real world. The key thing here is that it is not you. So um, I thought I'd give you a few examples of of, um, hits and misses that I've had over the years because uh, I want to show you that I've actually kind of been doing been doing this stuff uh, so I'm going to go show you a bunch of stuff that's that have been hits and then stuff that hasn't worked quite so well so my books of, uh, of short stories have been have been um, have been great they started off with a really quick and easy self-published thing that I wrote at my mum's kitchen table and then now we have a full editorial team who is who is who works on putting out these books without my involvement uh, Amiss was, uh, a miss was a Podcast that we launched last year, it's called the Story Learning Spanish Podcast. I say it's a miss; it's a bit early to tell. We might end up keeping it running, but basically, um, this was a podcast which was um, run completely by uh, by a team. It's super popular; it's doing really well, but we just can't quite make it pay pay its own way. And so we're looking at it, thinking, "All right, we've been doing this for a year, year and a half now. Yeah, it's okay, but it's not great." And so, following the principle of Killing the stuff that's not working quite so well to focus on the good stuff that is, that's probably going to end up on the chopping block. Uh, I, last year or so, I've been um, doing a teacher training program which has been been going great. Again, I hired someone to create a lot of the content for for that. We ran, um, we did a big co- a big experiment recently where we tried to change all of our online courses to a cohort format. So it was like a live a live thing. Um, so people would join on a specific date rather than signing up at any point. Uh, tried that, didn't work. Complete and utter failure. But luckily, I didn't spend any of my own time on it. Um, so it was, it, it didn't matter that much, right? Because it was an experiment that cash was was funding. Um, our, dig- our digital course, our main language courses in general have been a smash hit. And now we're releasing new languages all the time. Um, again, it's fully resourced. Just principle number three. So we're making... Five new courses this year, for example, that I'm not um, any any part of. Um, I tried uh, a coaching offer a few years back, where people could actually sign up for languages with high ticket coaching. Totally failed; people didn't want it. Uh, I, we also tried to do something quickly last year, uh, which was offering uh, live kids classes. We tried to just do some experiments in the in the kids market. Um, uh didn't get off the ground, not because people didn't want it, but just, we just couldn't find the right people to do it. And so we we spent a bunch of money trying to make it work, didn't work. So we just killed it. And then more recently, uh my YouTube channel has been doing really well as a consequence of having said to myself, right, what would this look like if we were all in that question from earlier? And I said, right, what would it look like? Well, we'd have a producer for the channel. Who's just responsible for things working. I'd have a script writer. So I've always got content to record. I'd have two video editors because one is not enough. Uh, I'd have at least one thumbnail person. Five people is what we need. So I went out and I hired them at the beginning of the year. So now we've been doing, we've had five people working on this channel nonstop. And sure enough, from having done it properly, it's, it started to, started to, to really, to, to really take off. Unlike this YouTube channel that I started three or four years ago, which was a Spanish experiment thing, never really took off. Why? Not because it wasn't a great idea, but because I was the damn bottleneck in it. And I had, I tried to do everything myself. So it just never got the momentum running. So just to compare those two YouTube channels, for example, this is is what it looks like, something that is fully resourced versus something that's not. Real world examples. So the one on the left is that Spanish YouTube channel I mentioned, just never, nothing ever happened to it. Took up too much of our time, never really got off the ground. The one on the right is my main YouTube channel. As soon as we properly resource it, it just starts to 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 um to go nuts. So again, this is what happens when you fully resource something and the importance of you not being the bottleneck. Okay. So these are the, the, the three principles that we talked about, just to reiterate on these. is to use cash to fund new ideas proactively, to double down on winners, kill losers. And then thirdly, to fully resource new projects. And when you do that, what happens is your business just basically goes like this. You have lots more things um, going on. And what that does to your revenue is that you go from having whatever revenue you've got right now, to just overall floating the uh, or raising the tide, I guess, Uh, which is uh, a good thing, giving you these things, exponential growth, because you're doing more and more using other people's uh, labor. Much more stable revenue, because you're not just dependent on one thing. Higher revenues, because you're just doing more stuff. And also, crucially, a way out for you, so that in the future, if you uh, maybe don't want to be spending so much time doing one thing, or having you at the center of everything, you've got a way to actually step back and become more of a CEO, or a chairperson, or, or whatever it is. Maybe that's what this gives you by creating these different, um, you know, uh, what you could call business business units. So um, there we go, that's them. And then one quote from Jeff Bezos that I'll finish with, which is, if you know in advance it's going to work, then it's not an experiment, which I quite like. So uh, yeah, a few things that I think are very important that you have to do in order to make this work. You have to fail. You have to be comfortable failing. You have to learn to trust other people because without this, you're gonna be permanently on the hamster wheel yourself, um, having to do um, everything yourself and never, t- never unlocking the potential of other people. You've gotta be able to live with mistakes, which for a lot of people, a lot of creators is a big deal because we don't like mistakes, but but living, will it, being able to live with mistakes, even on published material is a superpower because it just frees you from caring all that much. And then you've also got to give it time. Stuff stuff rarely takes off overnight. And um, so it is important to, when you're thinking about these new ideas, to commit cash to it with the expectation that this will take time so that you don't panic and, and uh, send it to the chopping block after one month if it doesn't work. So there we go. Thank you very much. Hope that was interesting or food for thought at least. And um, yeah, I guess hopefully we have a few minutes to to, to chat about. Uh. All right, um, Jan here.
0: I hope that you enjoyed Oli's presentation. This is the end of the presentation, but it's not the end of this podcast episode because um, we actually gave our participants the chance to ask Oli some questions. Now, what I've done here is I have edited out the original questions for privacy reasons. And then I will just tell you what the question was so that you don't get confused. Okay? So the first question was how do you know which ideas you're going to double down on, which ideas to to implement in your business?
1: I think what your th- what that question is really is what is what does an entrepreneur do? You know, I I think there's no right answer to that question. To a certain extent, you know, you 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 can't know what's going to work. So I think the general ethos has to be you try a bunch of stuff and then and then you, you play a numbers game, but what I do personally is I always keep huge lists of stuff, right? So I always, um, I always get very stressed out by the idea of forgetting stuff. So I have like a, I have a Trello board where I just keep a, I just keep every idea that I have. I just, um, uh, I just keep add it to the list, and then usually like once, uh, once a quarter or once every six months, I'll go through it with my with my team, and we'll say look, like, here are the ideas. Which ones do we love? Which ones do we get excited about? And generally, I go for the ones I just feel some excitement about, uh, because yeah, excitement often is often a good indicator of stuff that's going to work.
0: Yeah. I think another way, Oli, um, that you do that—you have this uh, this chart, or oh, how do you call it? Like this graph where you kind of measure the impact and the amount of work.
1: So the potential impact of the pro- of the project and the yeah. uh, estimated amount of work.
0: Maybe you yeah can we've
1: that done that in the past i quite like it so if you imagine a um a, it's called a it's called a um it's got a few different names but imagine um i have got an x and y axis and then on the bottom you've got the potential impact Oh no rather on, on, on the x axis you've got the potential impact which oh, x and y i'm forgetting now yeah oh, No, sorry on the y axis you've got the potential impact right so if we did this how um how powerful could it be so this being not very powerful and this being it could be a game changer and then on the x-axis you've got time it would time or effort that it would take to do right so ideally you want something that is high impact and very quick to do in reality most things that could have high impact are way over here and they take ages to do so you can kind of plot these things on the graph it can help Usually though, I kind of end up going for the stuff I just feel excited about because I want to enjoy the things that I'm doing.
0: All right, Ollie. thanks for the answer. Um, can't you not just ask your audience what they want?
1: Cool. Yeah. I think there's also a big role for trusting your intuition as well, because a lot of my most successful stuff, no one has ever asked me for it. Um, it's been more something that I kind of like really know my audience really intimately from years of, of um, interacting with them. So I'll often have ideas that that was like, you know what, if I made this thing, I bet you'd like it. And invariably they do because the thing about asking your audience is that they can only tell you what they know. It's like the Henry Ford quote, you know, if, if you asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. Right? They couldn't have conceived of a car, I said, but it took him to actually make the car. So Steve Jobs never asked anyone, um, you know, hey, would you, do you want an iPhone? Like, he just made it. So I think like sur- surveying your audience can be great, but I think one of the big advantages we have as content creators is that we really know our audience. So I'd say don't be afraid to trust your intuition as well. Sometimes if you let everything be data-led, you can end up being quite middle of the road. You know, whereas I think great sparks of ideas come from things that are in your head and you get excited about.
0: All right. Then we had a question from somebody who asked how much you need to micromanage when you hire somebody new. Like how detailed should your instructions be? Should you give them all the freedom to do the job that they need to do? Or do you need to give them clear, in-detail instructions? Here's what Oli has to say about it. (laughs)
1: it really depends who you're hiring and what for because for example when we're so when we're creating new language courses now we're we're hiring experienced teachers so i don't want to tell them how to teach i don't like i wouldn't dream of doing that um but i do want them to know exactly how the the courses should be made right so i think it's so what we do is we we give them very detailed information on what it needs to be and then i in in a case like that i try to give them really detailed information about what we want and then make it clear where their creative freedoms are so that they feel like they can do that stuff for a more kind of technical role or a more kind of assistant type role. What I found is that if you ask people, Hey, do you want freedom in your job? Do you want to be left alone? People will say, yeah, I love freedom. I want to be left alone. Like I want to be creative, but when it comes down to it, actually what everybody really wants is for you to tell them exactly what you want because otherwise they're worried about making mistakes all the time. So I used to be, there were a number of hires where I I was far too hands-off because I didn't want to micromanage. I didn't want to be that boss that was micromanaging. That ended up being really destructive because they ended up, what I realized later was they were were going to be sitting remotely wherever they were, wondering what I wanted, wondering what to do, and then just getting more and more frustrated or, or worried over time. Whereas now I'm actually much more prescriptive in the beginning. And I found that people really appreciate that. And, and, and so the trend then would be like, you're very prescriptive at the beginning. And then as soon as you see that they've got it, then you step back and then, then, so you get to a point as quickly as possible where, where they can do it as well as you. And then very quickly, they'll be better than you at it. Um, for for a higher level role like a management type or an executive role like the kind of general manager or or the operations person that's much more tricky um that Pete, peter and i were talking about this the other day about you know how do you find someone with the kind of with the gumption and the um and the kind of go-getter mentality and the energy and the drive to actually really um own a really important new project, that's a lot harder. Um and um I think uh for a lot of these these things I think turning to your list first is probably a good idea because there you're most likely to find the combination of someone who knows what they're doing but also knows your stuff right so that's a that's that's difficult when you do when you hire externally from someone who doesn't know what you're doing. That's that can be that can be tricky. But yeah, in general, um, in general, I think if you're new to hiring, I would, I would err on the side of being very, very prescriptive. Because you can still be very nice. You can still be a very nice boss and also very prescriptive. That's not necessarily a contradiction. But I think it's far better than, than being too hands off because then they've got no way of really learning what you want.
0: Okay, so in the presentation, Oli said that you should double down and invest even more money to go all in in the projects that are working and killing those that are not. But how do you know when a project is working? How do you know if, if you should double
1: down? That's what Oli's going to talk about here. There's the, f- the first thing is, is it is it costing me time and attention? Okay, because if something is fully funded and it's doing okay, then there's no reason you can't just let it run. Right But if it's also pulling in, <coughs> sorry, pulling in a lot of your time and attention, then that, then you've got a major opportunity cost question, right? Bec- Because you know, what can you be doing better? So if something's fully funded, doesn't need much input from you and you think it might just be a question of time, then it's kind of you, know, you can feel free to let it run. But in general, ha- like having, having tried like, so many different ideas, like you know when you've got a winner on your hands, and you know when something's not a winner. So if something is like, if you've given something your best effort, you've given it time, and it's just not happening, I think there's a strong case for saying, look, let's, let's let's call it call it call it call it a day, and turn our attention to something else, um, because you could ultimately be spending that time chasing chasing the thing that's going to skyrocket which I think, which is always out there and it's, and it's always like, um, and you know, we can be the ones that dream it up and, and, and make it. So that's how I think about it. Okay. That makes sense. So maybe putting something on autopilot if possible, or kind of a drip program, if it's already been made and then it's not taking your time as much, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. The other, que- the other big question that I, that I think about in, in my own case is, is how, what does it look like if it scales? So yeah. this podcast, for example, is it is, is, is Spanish. It was in Spanish because it was like we just tried one language as an experiment. But the idea for us would be, you know, if it works, then we multiply it out across different languages. But mm-hmm. If its current status is that it's kind of borderline loss making, we couldn't possibly scale that loss. So it makes it unscalable. And that, if you think about it in those terms, that can give you a pretty clear indication of well, what does this look like if it grows? And if you're not sure, then you can't really justify investing in it.
0: Okay, so the next question is if you should always go all in with a good idea, or should you always do a little test first?
1: What's well, so always test always, always, always test stuff. yeah um, but there's a but you can test something that your that your list has told you they want, or you can test something that they haven't told you that they want. like doesn't that doesn't matter, but yeah, always test stuff because because so, so if you think about the principle of, of this, what I talked about here. The kind of smaller scale version of that, if you like, is the um, the concept of the of the the, the minimum viable product right? or the, the kind of lean startup model. So if you don't have the cash to invest, for example, then the, the smaller scale version of this is to say, right, we've got an idea for a product. Mm-hmm. Let's do a quick pre-sale. Um, let's do a, a quick test version of it to see whether people will actually buy it. And if they buy it, great, you can continue. And if they don't, scrap the idea that's the smaller scale version what i talked about today really was what that what that can look like at a a larger scale when you've got the cash to actually fund these experiments because because when you because at a larger at a larger scale speed and velocity are more important than other things right because your job as the as the business owner really is to actually is to dictate the energy flow of the business And if you've got 10 ideas that you think are really, really promising, then it's on you to find a way to make that happen. And, and you, you, no one else will ever be able to do that. will ever be able to push that forward. So the big thing that you have to offer is the, is the energy to put these things out into the world. And it can be difficult to step back if you've, if you've always been the one who's been making the stuff, but um, yeah. So, so what I was talking about here was really just a kind of the same principle as the, um, Test a product before you launch it, uh, but, but at a different kind of scale, if that makes sense. But always test stuff first. There's always ways. However big and crazy you think your idea is, there's always a way to test it. And it can be really helpful to talk you know, to people in, in the group, for example, asking, hey, I've got this idea, but what would this look like if it were really quick and easy? And there's always really creative ways of, of doing that.
0: Okay, then somebody asks how much contact Ollie has with, uh, with his project manager, or in his case, his CEO.
1: All right. I'm sorry. I was muted. Sorry. So generally you wouldn't have all that much contact. That I means the, the whole point of bringing on a project manager is that they remove the need for you to be fully present in that thing all the time. So they are, yeah. they would be responsible for the whole thing. So it's like the, they are responsible for the people involved in the project, the timelines, the deliverables, all these things. So the project manager or the operations person, like where your work needs to be then is up front in finding that right person. Um, Really, pr- really making sure they're they're right for the job, and have got the experience that they need to to own something, and um, and to carry it through. But once you've found that person, then you need to kind of just let them get on with stuff, um, because that's how they'll work best, and it's also how you will then turn your attention to 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 other things.
0: How often do you talk to your team members?
1: Um, so my operations guide we talk once a week and my t- wider team um, once once a month, once every few months yeah. or on a routine basis and then as and, as and when is necessary um, but, but then but then my operations person ha- has quite regular meetings with everybody else
0: yeah Okay and then the final question, a very difficult question actually is um how do you decide you know to wh- whether to spend your money on facebook ads optimizing your seo uh pinterest TikTok? i mean there's so many things that we can do as an entrepreneur right how do we know how do you decide what to spend your money on i mean
1: that's that, that that's a, what you're asking there really is how do i grow my business right um and there's a there's a there's a, a balance there between between doing it yourself and then invest, hiring people in. I mean, when I've seen, when I've seen online businesses get, grow and get really established, it's usually the case that the, the creator, the owner, the founder works really hard to figure out the optimal business model. All right? So for example, in my case, when I first started, it was a very simple model. It was blogging, uh, grow an email list and then email marketing that very, very simple combination. So I did all of that myself at the beginning. And that was an, I knew that if I kept doing that, we'd grow. So that was cool. Yes. There's other stuff you can invest in SEO stuff, but it's not really necessary. I think often when you think about, you know, should I invest in SEO or Facebook ads? It's often a bit of a distraction from actually figuring out the core driver or the core engine of the business. So, I would probably suggest, for in, your, in your case, probably not, not, not spending money on those things, uh, because also, you know, if Facebook ads in general are very, very hard to get working unless you've got a very established business or a very large audience that you can retarget to. Um, um, and then an SEO, uh, other kind of technical marketing things, they can definitely help, but, you, but they can help in degrees and percentages. So if they get you a 10% boost on something that's fairly small, it's not that meaningful for you. And there's no way you're getting a return on investment for it. So I'd say, you know, it's generally, you know, your model there is pretty straightforward. It's you've got great content on YouTube. You're growing really fast. That's your traffic. Build an email list, uh, which I guess you're doing. And then your major business growth then is going to come from, continuing YouTube and then creating, building out your product system, your product ecosystem, because all you need to make a lot of money from that, that setup, is a, is a, is a well-structured course, um, portfolio, because then you could, you've got, you could have a higher for every customer that you get. You have lots of things to offer them and your lifetime customer value is much higher. Um, that's the kind of basics of your, of your model. I, I, I think I would probably suggest focusing 100% on building your email list from YouTube and building out a, 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 a set of courses that gives people a look kind of at logical progression so they can buy one thing and then the next, and then the next, and then the next. And you've got, you've got a, a, a seven figure business right there. It doesn't need to be more complicated than that, providing that you're, you're doing those things really well
0: all right so you've made it to the end of this episode i hope that you've learned lots of new things um and yeah now you should also have an idea of what we do during these inner circle meetings if you're interested in joining our inner circle well then the uh the bad news is that spots are very limited and uh, it's invitation only but if you're curious just send me an email at info and uh, we will see what we can do That was it for today, guys. Thanks for listening. Make sure to give this podcast a positive rating if you liked it. Uh, Spread the word, send it to your creative friends, and then talk to you on the next episode. Ciao.